0: talking about in this passage and that John has addressed, these are no, nothing new here. These are not some sort of, uh, you know, big, new, adventing the wheel sort of thing. These are simple truths that every believer needs to know from the moment of his salvation until his final breath, that you and I would live lives with full assurance, not just of our salvation, but full assurance in Christ Jesus our Lord, who is always faithful, even when we are not, who is always good, even when we are not, And during days like John was facing in his own time where there was uh, countless and endless persecution to the church, where there was uh, an immense amount of false doctrine and false teaching and preaching and belief and practice, we see the same things in our own day. So what was relevant for John in his day is just as relevant for us in our day. Uh, But let's read here verse number 18. Says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but indeed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandment dwelleth in him, and he in him, and there, and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. <coughs> Lots to look at here. Let's begin, though, first of all, with the conditions of confidence. First of all, we need to look and see, as we are going to dive in, starting in verse 21, kind of looking here, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. This is what he's been talking about with having our hearts assured. It is this confidence, not in ourself, not confidence in our own heart, but confidence in our heart about the work of Jesus. You and I know that we cannot trust in our own hearts. What do we know about our hearts? The Bible tells us our hearts are wicked. Our, our, Our hearts lead us astray. And so we cannot trust our own heart, but what can we trust? A heart that has been changed by Christ and that Christ is living in and through us. We, we can trust in the work that God does in us. We can trust in the work that God has already done for us. And so when we face times like we are today and like John faced where there's countless struggle, uh, countless persecution, and, and so much false doctrine, and, and we need our hearts assured, what do we do? We don't look to ourself. We We can't look to Uh, self-help books and things like this. You can't even look uh, to, to me. You must look to Christ. You must look to Jesus. Jesus is our only hope. Jesus is the one that keeps us pressing forward, that reminds us that what is accomplished in our spiritual life is accomplished by Him and not by me and not by you. Now, we are most confident in God when we are most obedient to God. Have you ever noticed that? You ever notice that in your life that you are the closest to the Lord when you're the closest to the Lord? right? Think about this. If you're close to the Lord, what does that mean? You're following Him. You're trusting Him. You're obeying Him. Right? Those are, by the way, natural responses to those who are truly saved. If you're truly saved, that is your natural new uh, spiritual response when you are living and submitting uh, to, to the Spirit of God who now dwells us as He tells us the spiritual The Spirit which He hath given us. The Holy Spirit of God is a gift to us, not just to correct us, but to comfort us, to teach us, to guide us, to assure our hearts, to point us to the work of Christ. So we see that through the Spirit of God that we can have this confidence by submitting to Him. Now, you know this, right? The Bible talks an awful lot about two ways of living for us who are saved. We have living in the flesh and living in the Spirit. We have the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Now, what's over here with the flesh? Is it anything good? No. But this is the stuff that we do on our own power, on our own strength, by our own means or motives. These are the things that we do because we just want to do it. These are the worldly things. And what they do is they bring about a separation, not of position in Christ, but rather a separation in our fellowship. You ever have the morning where you start off, right? And I don't know how many times I've told Cammie, we will be, be 1 o'clock a hot day, walking in a hot Walmart with lots of people, and I go, I, I can't do this. I haven't read my Bible today, right? And I'll be very serious. You, I haven't read my Bible like I should have this morning. I did not pray like I should have this morning. I'm feeling it, right? Because that person did nothing wrong, but just the fact that they're wearing bunny slippers in Walmart, now I'm irritated, right? Y'all know this because you guys are either the ones that wear the bunny slippers or think like I do, okay? We've all been to Walmart. And we think about this. Would I find myself getting quickly agitated, irritated, frustrated, well, is it because I'm walking in the Spirit? No, because I'm walking in the flesh. And so am I really close to the Lord right there? No, I'm close to myself, right? I, I'm moving myself along and I'm, I'm feeling angry. I'm justifying my behavior. I'm justifying my pride. I'm looking down my nose at everybody. Nothing's right in the world, right? Not, nothing is right. And we always find that, and that, that tends to be, unfortunately, a lot of our time gets spent that way, but shouldn't, should it? You see, it's much more difficult, yet much more simple and much more beneficial when we say yes to the leading and living in the Spirit of God. You see, we always want these times. You, you ever have that particular sin maybe that you struggle with the most, and you know that you, you kind of have that mental checklist in your mind or that calendar of going, oh man, I've gone on this many days, right? And haven't struggled with that as much. Praise the Lord, right? That's good. And you go, man, and also I've noticed the past few days I've been happier, more joy-filled. My heart's been a little more pointed towards God. Right? You know why? Because we've been separated from sin and we've been drawn close to the Lord. When we obey God, that is when we truly are confident in Him. But it's when we're far from Him or when we ha- have disobeyed Him. Don't you feel that sort of separation? David talks about the Psalms a lot, doesn't he? Right? He's like, how are you so far from me? Right? How am I so far from you? Right? Uh, my sin is, is blocking this relationship between us. Uh, I need to return. I need you to return to me. We need to be drawn back together. He has no confidence. And, and you and I often have little confidence in God because we have little obedience to God. Now you might say, well, I, I go to church uh, in my car, put on BBN or... or or whatever and you know I I put on uh, some sort of preaching or or I don't watch anything bad or all that stuff but uh, let me ask you though when do you really get into the the nitty-gritty of not just doing the broad general strokes of going well this is what a Christian should do right but really going no this is what a Christian does this is how a Christian lives See, as the commentator writes about this, but John does not mean to imply that God hears and answers our prayers merely for the subjective reason that we have a clear conscience and an uncondemning heart, right? Let me pause there for just a moment. You ever had God answer a prayer when you were in the middle of a time where you were not close to Him? Yeah, a lot of times. And, And it's some sort of little, most of the time it's this little thing and it just dawns on you and you go, I remember praying for that, weeks ago, and right now I'm a miserable wretch. I haven't talked to God all day, and yet he just answered this prayer from weeks ago. Right? And we think, see, God hears. It's not based solely on that. Right Now he continues, he says, There's an objective moral reason, namely because we obey his commands and more generally do what pleases him. Obedience is the indispensable condition, not the meritorious cause of answered prayer. The statement that we receive from him, anything we ask, describes the Christian's Habitual experience. right? The verbs are in the present tense, and Candlish is right to point to the incarnate Son as the supreme example of pleasing God and so being heard by God. Let me pause there. Y'all remember in in the Gospels when Jesus prays, what happens? God answers, right? The you think uh, the the account that's in all four Gospels where a little boy's got some lunch and they've got all these people, right? Thousands and thousands. Estimated at least 5,000, but more than likely 10 to 15 if we include what, what might be included with women and children and things like that. Nevertheless, though, they've got enough to feed a person, not a whole multitude of persons. And what does the Lord do? The Lord himself prays to God, his Father, and God answers. They all eat. They even had leftovers, right? We think about this. Everyone ate and they were filled. We're satisfied, is the idea. When Jesus prays, God hears. Why? Because Jesus, though he was fully God, but yet in, in full flesh, is perfectly, always perfectly, obeying his Father. Could you imagine what a life, a Christian life would be like if we perfectly obeyed God? I mean, boy, it'd be great, wouldn't it? Right? You ever wonder, and you, you know some of those folks that you call, we call prayer warriors, right? You go, man, if I want it answered. I need to get them praying, right? And we know some folks like that, but I would say the secret to those prayer warriors is not that God hears their prayers more. It's probably that they're a little bit more obedient to God than what we probably are. It's that they submit to the Spirit probably a whole lot more than what we do. Now he goes on, he says, it is an echo of our Lord's promise where the same two verbs occur. Ask and it will be given to you for everyone asks, receives. Matthew 7 um, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. The author, then as written here, Cruz, he says, the author uses present tense forms of the verbs to obey and to do here, indicating that the action he has in mind is ongoing. Doing what God commands and so pleasing him is what engenders confidence when believers pray. And the command we obey when we respond to fellow believers in need is the dominical command to love one another as the following verses make clear. Acting generously means not only obeying the command, but also doing what pleases God. God is greater than our meanness uh, and himself uh, generous. And it pleases him to see his people acting generously and so being like him. And we look at this passage, he says, whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Now, as the, the author here talked about, the because we keep and do are in the present, it is ongoing, it's that we, have God's commands don't change, right? And he says if we keep them, it means that we don't just keep them one time. It's that we keep on keeping them, right? It's not that we do his command. It's that we do and keep on doing his commands. And so the Christian life does not just start and then end with the moment of your salvation, right? Think about that. You, you don't just get saved and then boom, immediately poof to heaven. It doesn't work that way. We're still living on this earth and going through a sanctification process, and it is a process, but yet we're still called to continue daily to keep on keeping His commands, to keep on doing His commands. There's never a time in your Christian life where you can find a justification to go, well, you know, not, not today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a day off, right? I've been, a, I've, I've been working hard as a Christian the past week and a half, haven't had a break. I, I'm going to take the day off, right? doesn't work, right? This isn't work. This isn't a job. You can't call to God and take a sick day, right? You, You are in Christ. We are to be in him and remain in him. And there's never a moment where we can say, well, you know, not today, Lord. And we must as well not mistake just merely doing the bare minimum as real obedience, right? Think about that. Who's the better worker at the job? The one who clocks in maybe, I don't know, three minutes late. They get by. They do their paperwork. They turn stuff in. And then the moment that they can check, it, you know, clock out, they're gone, right? They, they've offered nothing else to the team. They haven't done anything extra. They've done the bare minimum to keep the job, and, and that's it. Or, or the one that maybe shows up is at their workstation ready to go, works hard all day, helps out the one who's slacking over here, doesn't complain about it neither, and, and, and if they get asked to, they'll even stay after, right? Which one are we taking, right? If I'm the boss, I want this one. Why? Because here you and I, we look at Christianity sometimes, and we want to do a lot like our jobs or work. We want to just what can I get by with the bare minimum here? We want to get by with just, just barely squeaking by. And I think one of our gravest issues today in the church in America is that we are content with just getting by in our Christian walk. We are okay with giving God our bare minimum. And don't be surprised if when we do get our rewards that it's the bare minimum. Bare minimum work should get bare minimum reward. And so let us not think that we very well still, right, you got the job, right, you got, you got heaven waiting, and that, that's great. But you know something, I want much more out of, out of salvation. I want much more out of my walk with Christ, even more than just the rewards, Right? That, that's even secondary. The, the great reward is Christ Himself. But I want to be used of God in a way that I'm not just skating by. And I think that many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, for a long time, or in periods of time in our Christian walk, we find ourselves just kind of doing the basic. Right? And we wonder why we are, feel so distant. We wonder why we don't have a victorious life. We wonder why we can't stay positive. We wonder why we don't have peace and all these things. Well, Halfway obedience isn't obedience, is it? Right? Half-hearted obedience. Well, I can tell you this. It ain't full-hearted obedience. Right? We think about this here. We sing some songs that ought to remind us, right? One is a little, little kid's song. Some of y'all might know it. You might not. It's a classic, though, okay? O B E D. I E N C E. Your turn. Anyone know it? Obedience, I'll sing it for you, is the very best way to show that you believe. Yeah, yay. Right? We teach that to kids. Right, if y'all might not. We're, we're about to, though, okay? So if you got, okay, we're going to teach that. Okay. It's a great one. In church, out of the church, it's a good one. All right? But for us, maybe the adult version, okay, would be trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Notice that. You want Christian joy? You want Christian victory? You want that victory in Jesus? Right? We love singing that one. Well, have the trust and obey. And then you'll have your victory. If your heart is weak, if your walk is weak, trust and obey and find your strength. Not in yourself, but you'll find it in Christ. The more that we trust Him and obey Him, you see, you know this. You truly are probably in your Christian walk, and you've probably experienced it even more than I have that the joy of the Lord comes not when we're doing our own thing, but when we're doing what God desires. It's not some sort of crazy thing to think about. Well, I just I don't know. I don't know what God wants. I don't know what God desires. Baloney! Yeah, you do. And if you don't, it's because you haven't opened up your Bible. It's very clear what God wants. It's clearly clear what what God desires of us. And by the way, if you're saved, as John tells us, the Holy Spirit leads us to do that which is right. The hunger is naturally there for us to trust and obey. And then when our hearts do condemn us, what must we do? We must not try to beat up ourselves not try to correct ourselves in some way of going, i got to pull myself up, i got to fix myself, but it's simply a return, look back to Calvary, and trust and obey and keep walking forward again. Now, uh, as we look here at these commands he, he's discussing here, commands are important. He says, whatsoever we ask, we receive because we keep his commands, do the things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that ye should believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now, first of all, any Christ that had been preached against who were truly unbelievers did not believe or love truly. These are the ones that over a couple chapters had, had literally left the faith, had left the teaching and had begun doing their own thing because one, they truly didn't believe God, nor did they truly believe the scriptures, nor did they actually love God or love his scriptures. Therefore, they did not love the brethren. They did not love the church. They did not truly love the things of God but they were antichrist in their spirit and in their walk. They believed that Jesus was, but that He was not divine. Jesus was not just a person. He was not just a good teacher or a nice guy. Jesus was, is, and forever shall be God. And if you miss that, you miss all of Christianity because if you have a Jesus who is not fully God, then you don't have Jesus. You've got your own Jesus. You've got Jesus of the world. And this is why countless people who follow these things that claim to be Christian aren't not Christian. I don't care how much they say. You can call yourself Christian, right? All you want. You can have a cow and call it a dog and it's still a cow. You, you can take and, and claim Christ all you want, but if you do not have Christ, you are not Christian. You are not in Christ. They believe that Jesus was maybe a person or maybe some sort of force, but He wasn't divine. See, they loved, but they did so improperly and impurely. Their love was actually a self-love, which is idolatry. Now, this great command that He gives to us here in verse 23, it's twofold, if you'll notice. He says, and this is His commandment. And then He says two things. But it's two things into one. It's one command for two it's sort of a part A, part B for the, for the whole command here. First of all, he says that it's believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. As Guzik writes, this is not simply believing that Jesus is or even believing that he did certain things such as die on a cross. To believe on the name of Jesus means to put your belief on Jesus in the sense of trusting in him, relying on him, and clinging to him. It isn't about intellectual knowledge or understanding. It is about trust. You see, the Gnostics of John's day, they had the head knowledge about Jesus, or at least their own head knowledge and idea. And then they were, were lacking, though. What were they lacking? A true belief and trust in Jesus. There are many, and you've heard a million times, I'm sure, many people who are missing salvation by about this much, right? It, it means from the head to the heart. They know Jesus, right? And here in the South, There are plenty of people, if you were to say, are you a Christian? And they would say, oh yeah. And then maybe if you ask them, well, why are you a Christian? They might be able to tell you the the right answer, if you will. Because there are plenty here in in our region, in our area, that know the right answer. Well, you know, Jesus died on the cross and rose again. Or, Or they might say something more simple. They might just say, well, Jesus died for me. Okay. But are you trusting in that? And if you're truly trusting in that, then you will and should be living like that and living that out. A head knowledge of Christ is not a heart keeping and knowing of Christ. So we have to see the difference. Furthermore, there can be no obedience of God's commands if there is no love for one another. There can be no love for one another if people close their hearts to those in need. And there can be no confidence when approaching God in prayer when people close their hearts to fellow believers in need. Notice how this truly is one commandment because it goes together. It is a trusting and a belief, a dependence upon Christ, but as well as a love for His people. Because if we say that we love Christ, we will love His people. You cannot love Jesus and hate His church. This is why to to every believer who right now is out of church and could be in church but has an excuse as to not be, right? And granted, there are shut-ins. I'm not saying I don't believe in shut-ins. There are shut-ins, right? There's some shut-ins out there. But there's countless many, sadly, over the past couple of years, who have used every excuse in the book as to why they're not in church. If you love Jesus, you will love his church. It is inseparable, plain and simple. However, the sad reality is that there's many who are in church, and by in church, I mean they attend church, a local gathering, but are not in Christ. There are, this is one coin here with the two sides. Both are, are unbelieving. Both look and the one says, justifies himself, well, me and Jesus have my own thing going on, so I don't have to go to church. Okay, sure. You don't have to go to church to go to heaven, right? The thief on the cross didn't go to church, nor did he get baptized. But guess what? If you would have got off that cross and got to continue to live, you know what he probably would have been doing? Why? Because if you're truly saved, you are going to have a desire to be with God's people and to serve and to love God's people because you truly love and serve God. And then there's the other group, the other side of the coin, that say, you know, well, I'm fine because I go to church. Well, that's not the case either. Right? This side, you don't have your own thing going on with God. Right? If, you're, if you're in Christ, but you're able to go to church and choose not to, you are out of the will of God. But if you're on this side and you attend church, but have never repented and truly trusted Jesus, you too are out of the will of God. And if anything, you are in just as much danger of judgment because you make a mockery of Christ and His church by attending such and pretending to be a part of something that you are not. We see the severity of both sides here. Now as we come to this command, is important, but they piggyback off each other. You will not have believing on Him and not loving one another. If you believe on Christ, you will love his people, you will love one another for one reason, as He gave us commandment. You know what the word command means? You're right. Means command. It is not an option. It's not a suggestion. Jesus didn't say, you know, love me, but you know, the whole church thing or, or loving everybody. You know, it's you're gonna have some tough days, and I'll understand if you don't. Right? Just love me, and it'll be okay. No. If you love Me, you will keep My command. My command is that you love one another as I have loved you. So we see that there's no room Then There's no arguing. There's no uh, trying to get around that. There's no uh, talking Jesus out of it. There's no skating by with the bare minimum anymore once you realize this is a command of God to love one another. Now let's get real real. Who in this church, maybe even right now, you'd say, uh... We just won't talk about that one preacher, You see, what that is right now is that you and I know that we're always about that close away from either fully trusting and obeying the Lord or we let that one little thing or that one little person or that one little problem keep us from truly walking in the Spirit and being in the will of God and being used of God in greater ways than what we are now. We are always about that far away from going from being skating and skirting the bottom, doing the bare minimum to being used of God and bearing and seeing fruit in our lives. The reason why you and I don't have the fruit in our lives like we say with our mouths we would like to see is because our hearts don't submit to the God who would use us to bear fruit. And here's where it comes down to. Verse 24, and this will will be it here for this chapter. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in Him, and He in Him. And hereby we know that He abideth in us by the Spirit which He hath given us. The one who obeys Christ abides in Him. When we abide in Him, we are confident or assured in Him. We talked about that. The closer you are to God, the more confident you are in God. It's much like this. When a little child get separated from mom or dad in the store. Little kid, right? Gets, gets scared. They lose all confidence. They have the fleshy meltdown, right? I'll tell them myself. I used to be that kid. <laughs> I used to be the kid, though, that would go and hide in a rack or around the corner somewhere to try to see what they would do. See if they missed me, right? <laughs> see if they're going to leave the store without me. They never did. I don't think. <laughs> right? It worked out. but But I remember doing that and then what would happen is I remember distinctly a couple of times where it was then they understood what I was doing and I didn't know that they knew what I knew, right? I'm hiding, peekaboo, a and, and, and I'm hiding on the corner. I know where they are, but then when I come back, they've gone because they know where I am and they go, oh, we'll get him, right? <laughs> and then I come out, they're not there. Mom, dad, right, right? No, nothing, right? They're not coming after me right now. They're going to let me panic this out. And I stopped being so confident. I was confident when I could look and see. And I knew, that oh, they're right there. I was confident then. But I lost all confidence when I couldn't see anymore. When did I get my confidence back? When even with my snotty nose and my bad little wicked heart that tried to deceive and, and, and uh, panic my own parents, then I become the one that's panicked and deceived and, and get to meet them and hug them and hold them to the buggy again and I'm going to hold on to that buggy for dear life. Then I'm confident again. Why? Because I'm back with them. You see, you and I are truly the most confident in God when we're closest to God. I want you to know that you are as close to God as you desire to be. You are, let's take it a step further, you are as obedient to God as you want to be. And this is where it gets tough. God does not move. God is God. He remains the same yesterday, today, forevermore. It is you and I that move and we begin to go, well, look, I got this. Now, you and I would say, well, I never say those words, no. But our mind, our thinking does. Our heart's actions and belief does. Our life often does. Now, here, abiding and obedience truly do go hand in hand, much like loving Christ and loving people. If we're abiding in Jesus, we're obeying Jesus. And then if we're obeying Jesus... We're abiding in Jesus. See how that goes, right? It's just if you're doing this, this is going to naturally happen. If you're doing this, then you're naturally abiding in Him. This is a part of it. And notice though that He talks about in the same verse though that it's not in our own strength or our own faithful obedience; it is the Spirit of God within us. And we're going to look here in just a, a couple moments. But you can look at Galatians two twenty that discusses this. The Spirit of God allows us to obey and abide in Jesus. When we submit to the Spirit, we are submitting to Christ. When we live in the Spirit, we are living uh, for Christ. When we um, are obedient to the Spirit, it is Christ living in us. I often say this, any bad thing that you do is your own flesh. It is your own work. Any good thing you do is Christ in you. right? It is you simply submitting to Him. Why? So that way we would not get the glory, but that He would. Because who should get the glory in all things? Christ. You see, when we are believing, obeying, and loving as we are commanded to, it is because we are submitted to the Spirit. And when we're not, what does that mean? We're not submitted to the Spirit. Stott writes, The Spirit, whose presence is the test of Christ living in us, manifests Himself objectively in our life and conduct. It is He who inspires us to confess Jesus as the Christ come in the flesh, as John immediately proceeds to show It is also He who empowers us to live righteously and to love our brothers and sisters. So if we would set our hearts at rest when they accuse and condemn us, we must look for evidence of the Spirit's working and particularly whether He is enabling us to believe in Christ, to obey God's commands, and to love our brothers. For the condition of Christ dwelling in us and of our dwelling in Him is this comprehensive obedience. And the evidence of the indwelling is the gift of the Spirit. So we know Which is the idea of having confidence and assurance that we are in Him because He is in us. There's no mistaking the leading, comforting, teaching, and correcting of the Holy Spirit. There's no mistaking it whatsoever. Now, I'm going to turn and read just a a brief scripture here. Galatians chapter 5 tells us this in verse number 16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So, let's break that down. If you don't walk in the Spirit, then what will you do? Fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the the flesh lusteth against the Spirit. It's a war. Your old nature against your new nature. They are at war with one another. That is the spiritual battle. The spiritual conflict, first and foremost, is not just against the devil and the world, but it's about our own flesh. We truly are our own worst enemy. This fight within... He says, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. The, the list, the idea of such, like is the list keeps going, right? It's you, you pick a sin, you name a sin, that's the lust of the flesh. He says, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you also in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. How many of y'all want those things, right? Well, yeah! Sure, I want love, joy, peace, right? Those are the top ones that we say anyways. Well, how does it come? Submitting to the Spirit that dwells in you. He says, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. This goes hand in hand not to provoke and envy one another, but rather we're to love one another and to help each other walk in the Spirit. And by the way, you are not somebody else's Holy Spirit. Yeah, I said it. You're not. And neither am I. You see, what happens so often, we get so tempted to do this, is we know somebody's doing something. hmm Right? And we, we cut our eyes. We, we kind of mark them, that sort of thing. You have to trust this that if they are truly saved, which means then that they would have the Holy Spirit inside of them, that if they truly are, that they will face correction, they will face teaching, and you don't have to worry so much about it. You worry about obeying the Holy Spirit first. right? And let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit do. Okay? Now look here, and we'll be done. Where there is the fruit of the Spirit, there is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And where there is the indwelling Spirit, there is to be confidence in Christ. So what do we find? Our confidence in Christ is from within, but not from within anything that we produce or make or bring on our own. Rather, our confidence and assurance in our heart does not come from our own heart, our own works, our own words. It comes from the Spirit of God who indwells every believer, who points us to Christ, who corrects us and teaches us and comforts our hearts When our hearts condemn us. So, today, dear believer, if your heart is condemned because you've condemned yourself, look to Calvary, listen and submit to the Holy Spirit inside of you that is pointing you to follow Christ and submit to Him, and then enjoy the fruit of the Spirit that we say we all desire. But may we not just desire it with our lips, desire it with our hearts. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time, grateful for your word, grateful for the opportunity to study, and I pray, God, that you would help us to take these truths to heart. God, I pray that now you would prepare our hearts for this worship service, Lord, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. God, that we would glorify you. Lord, if there's anyone today, Lord, whatever the need might be, God, if it's salvation, if it's correction, if it's encouragement, God, that you would meet that need through the power of your word, through the power of your spirit. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this time, and we give this hour over to you now. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all, let's take a pause for the calls. Any guys that want to come pray, we've got a prayer room over here. And any ladies that want to come pray, uh, Kimmy's got a, a prayer room right over here.